Welcome. You are now listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lugani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work towards your ideal retirement. Roshan Lungani and Eric Olson serve clients across the U.S. They offer financial planning and investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and securities through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, and NFA. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Langani, here with Adrian Nicholson and Eric Olson, as usual. Eric, you've got a mountain man thing going, for those of you watching. No shave November, baby. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, what, how does the wife, how does Joni feel about the beard? Does she like it? Oh, does not like it. Not <laughs> one bit. <laughs> But it's one of those, that's one of those, you know, periodically a husband will, will do just to reassert some sort of autonomy. Well, I mean, you look like you could fight a bear right now. I think it looks pretty cool. I'm feeling that way too. (laughs) Uh, And Adrian, you are uh, extra shave November if that's possible. Yeah, I'm just sticking to my uh, daily routine now. So I'm happy with it, but uh if I, if I need any advice, I'll just reach out to Eric to let him know the best process about it. <laughs> yes, sounds good. We have a, an interesting topic today for all of our listeners. We are getting ready for the end of the year, and we want to talk a little bit about some year-end tax planning. And I think um, our compliance people will appreciate me starting us out by saying, we are not tax advisors. Please consult your tax advisor. That's our disclosure. And quite frankly, that's just a good statement for for you to remember, consult your tax advisor. We're giving you general ideas that you can use in your uh, life, in your you know por- sort of portfolio and your tax planning. But uh, it's general stuff, and we want to give you the starting point so you can look into it further to see if it applies. I know we've all got lists and ideas. Uh, I'll I'll start, Eric, with you. What's the first thing you've got for the listeners to look into? Well, actually, the first thing I think is to just talk about why this is important, because we're um, we're we're going to the world of of uh, financial planning is what where we our starting point is financial planning. The outcomes for our clients can be so dramatically enhanced by paying attention to tax um, decision making all along the way, and that can be as simple as some decisions having to do with one's investment portfolio. And most advisors, I would say, who are you know have been in the been in the field for a while, have learned the con- the importance of tax management and and tax um, strategies w- with respect to investment accounts, especially non qualified or we would say taxable investment accounts. But it goes well beyond that. And so it, it also, to a large extent, can touch on areas that we'll address in, in some measure today about Roth IRA conversion strategies. It can have to do with gifting strategies, charitable giving in particular, particular but not limited to charitable giving. Um, and in terms of where you, where you locate certain of your assets within the various uh, tax buckets. When I say tax buckets, I'm talking about taxable, tax deferred, and tax free, et cetera, et cetera. So the the bottom line is is that if you're if you're uh, savvy about managing the tax side of your 
of your financial life, then you're in a position to make those, those dollars that you do either earn or grow through investment just last and stretch that much farther. So this, is a, this has the potential to, to add significant um, compounded return by getting the tax side right. And, um, and by contrast, if you ignore it or you're sloppy about it, then of course it can really, really cost you. So we wanna make sure that as we come into the end of the calendar year here, you're thinking about the sorts of year-end tax-related strategies that you might undertake. And then also we wanna propel you to think about tax strategies that aren't in any way limited to year-end, but, it, but the year-end provides a good occasion to stimulate your thinking around these things. So the last thing I'll just add is, is a, there's no way we can be comprehensive on these strategies today. This is a, we're, we're just trying to touch on some that we think are significant and, and uh, a, a fuller examination of this would just take weeks. So we're gonna, we're gonna do this uh, you know, in sort of touching on some, some high points here, but we hope that these will be of immediate value to many of our listeners. Yep. We want to give you a starting point with things to look into so you can see how if they do or don't apply to you. So uh, and particularly now, so you have time to do something about it. Uh, and Eric, as you were saying, when we look at the taxes, uh, taxes in general, I always like to say it's not about what you make. It's about what you keep. Right. So being strategic, planning uh, where you put certain investments and planning for your taxes are, are an important thing for everyone to do. So, so why don't you lead out one of you fellows with uh, an idea that you think has is worth pursuing here at the outset? Yeah, of course, Eric. And uh, like we said, there are a lot of strategies out there, especially when it comes to uh, taxes, and it, it can get it can get overwhelming at some times. But again, just being diligent and looking at what you can do can overall just reduce that tax bill and lead to some pretty good gains. And I think uh, an interesting point is is if you have a a loss on a particular investment, yeah, it may seem bad, but you can use that as an advantage and use that as a positive thing to maybe lower your overall uh, taxes. And it's and it's extremely important. And I kind of consider it like a game of like checkers or a chess, where you just have all these like pieces that you can use to your benefit. And using them in the right way can be extremely important and very beneficial to your overall plan. So really consulting a specialist, looking at all the strategies, looking at all your different investments and seeing how they can help you the most at the end of the year can be really great for your overall plan. I think it's a pretty good starting point. Yeah, and let's go a little bit deeper with that. I think that's an important idea about taking tax, offsetting losses and gains. So what you've got to do when you're looking at this is you've got to look at uh, first look at your investments and separate them into what are short-term and what are long-term uh, capital gains and then you, or losses. And you want to try to offset these uh, as much as you can, even if possible, to, uh, to the point where you can, you can potentially take a little bit of a loss to get a deduction. So your starting point there would be uh, you want to look at your non-qualified accounts. So what we're talking about will have to do with all types of accounts. Non-qualified means accounts that are not IRAs, 401ks, they're not qualified for favorable tax treatment. So your regular 
mutual funds, brokerage accounts, investment accounts that you have, and then you can pull a report on them or look at your the statement even to see where your gains and losses are. So that's the starting point for this strategy. Uh, tell me if uh, what you'd like to add, both of you, but the starting point to me is go to your qualified accounts. You don't have to look at every, every account and just look at what are my gains, what are my losses, separate them out to short term. And when I say gains and losses, we're talking about by position, not the account overall. You've got to look at the individual positions. What are your gains? What are your losses? Separate them out to what's short and long term. And then that's when you get start playing, uh, as Adrian said, chess with, with your positions. Okay, so I just want to clarify one thing. You said qualified, and I think that was just a slip of the tongue. You meant non-qualified or taxable accounts. Correct. And just to, to, to add to that, so if it's an IRA account or a Roth IRA account, don't sweat it. There's no, you're not going to have a tax consequence in a Roth IRA account from this. And in, in an IRA account, it's the only time you're going to have a tax is when you're taking money out. It'll be treated as ordinary income. We're talking about taxable accounts. And in fact, then I'll go one step further. So... Folks, this is the, the label that we're going to use for this is called tax loss harvesting. You're, you're out there like a farmer and you're looking for these tax losses so you can, you can move them from the column of unrealized tax losses into the column of realized tax losses. In other words, a, a transaction to close the position or to close a, a subset of the position um, it puts it into that that's now on the books as opposed to it's being a paper loss. It's an actual loss. And you might be thinking, why would I want an actual loss? It would be because if you've had an actual gain in something that was also realized, if the loss offsets the gain, now you got that gain effectively without a tax consequence. But you might be saying, well, wait a second, but what about the loss? I thought the whole idea was not to lock in your losses. Ah, good thinking. What you do at that point is, after, quote unquote, locking in the loss to move it from the unrealized to the realized column, is that you replace that investment with something that's similar but not identical. And similar but not identical, if it's identical, it is considered a wash sale. That's a topic for another time. And it's not, then you sort of defeated the purpose. But something similar, you're now still invested just as fully as you were. And yet you've, you've done, through the exercise of this process, you've put yourself in a position to, at the very least, defer taxes and in some cases avoid them. Yep. And let's explain the basics of the wash sale rule. So what Eric is saying is if you buy something that uh, the IRS considers substantially identical, that's the language that's used, uh, you can't claim the loss. So if you're going to sell Security A and buy Security B, as Eric said, make sure they're different. If you really want Security A, you have to make sure you wait for 31 days and then you can buy it back. So if, if the loss is big enough where you're willing to be out of that security for 30 days, that that's a that's something you can look at and consider uh, consider as well. So yes, here's an example. Company XYZ has an S and P 500 index fund, and then Company ABC has an S and P 500 index fund. Those are going to be substantially identical, even though they're from different companies. They're substantially identical. So instead, you might look for something that is a you know a different version of a large cap U.S. fund. 
other than the S&P 500. So, in fact, just in terms of the impact of this, depending on how much you, you have, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm thinking back to two years ago. So 2018, we ended the year with a pretty steep decline coming into uh, Christmas Eve. Do you recall that? Yeah. And so what that did is, is it suddenly people were going, what just happened? <laughs> Here we were riding high and then we had October, then went slammed down and then November kind of chopped sideways and then December slammed down into Christmas Eve. So that was a great time for, for doing precisely this strategy because now you had lots of um, you know, higher potential for some things that were in a loss position. And you, you could act on those. In fact, to, in, to go about this in the most savvy way is you wouldn't even go merely to the position level. You'd go all the way down to what we call the lot level. Let me explain what that is. Let's say that Adrian is a, a very steady and systematic saver and an investor. And every single month, he puts, you know, I'll just say he puts $1,000 into an S&P 500 index fund. And he does that month after month after month. Well, because the, that, the price of the index is going to be moving as he puts his money in, some of those purchases will have been made at low prices, some of those will be made at middle, medium prices, and some of them at fairly, in relative terms, high prices. So when Adrian, it comes time for an event like late 2018 and a big drop, Adrian doesn't have to look at the entirety of his entire S&P 500 holdings that he's built up month after month after month after month. Instead, he can look for just those positions that were purchased at, among all the other lots, the relatively high points, and those are probably gonna give him the best bang for the buck on a, on a loss harvesting strategy, because the, they, they should have a higher percentage of their, of their value is is a loss and uh by locking that in then it, with with less fiddling around with the rest of the portfolio he's able to he's able to capture some nice tax avoidance there yes and let's let's continue on because we've got a lot of strategies to go over uh and i think another important one along these lines are uh mutual funds capital gains distributions and seeing whether you want to get them or not so Eric, I know you've got a really great resource to share, so I'm going to let you start on this one, please. Well, so um, listeners, it, your, what, I, what I thought would be interesting to see is if we took the 100 largest mutual funds in the United States and looked at, as, of we, as we have this conversation today here about a week before Thanksgiving, which of those mutual funds has already announced that they are going to make capital gains distributions. Now, you might be saying, I'm, what? what's a capital gains distribution? Well, mutual funds have a lot of activity inside them, some of it by virtue of their own deciding to sell you know, company um, you know, ABC and to buy company XYZ. But they also have, they have selling occurring inside these funds when someone says, you know what, I want to take my money out and I want to go do this with it. I want to go either 
I, I'm, I'm fearful and I want to go to cash or I want to put some money toward a college education or whatever the case might be. They, they have contacted the mutual fund and said, I need to sell my shares. When they sell, they're not just usually just sitting on a ton of cash, so they have to go sell some stuff to generate the cash for that purpose. And when they do, they too have had things move from the unrealized gain position to the realized gain. Who gets, who gets to enjoy those realized gains? It's all the other shareholders in the fund. And so the custom is toward the end of the year to, to announce the distributions that will be made. And that what you'll see is late in the year, usually, there'll be a day when they'll distribute into the accounts of all the shareholders the, those capital gains. And the price of the fund will drop overnight by, that, by the amount of the distributions that they made per share. So if it was, let's say, they made, it's $100 a, a, a share for this mutual fund, and they make $5 per share of capital gains distributions, your account the next day, you'll wake up and you'll say, wait a second, my fund went from 100 to 95, even though the market didn't change overnight, what happened? Well, then you'll see the cash total in your account went from zero or whatever it was to $5 a share more sitting in cash in your account. That for you is gonna be a taxable event. So there's a, there's a way to avoid that. So let me pause there and see what you guys yeah, have to and say. Uh, what I wanted to add was a lot of times people, particularly if they, um, uh, if they are reinvesting, most people don't notice it, right? Like they look at their account balance not the share price per share of their mutual funds. So if you're not reinvesting, you might notice the that you've got a bunch of cash in the account that you didn't have before. If you are reinvesting, your balance is unchanged on your total account, so you may not notice it. So it's important that you know that this happens. I've a lot of people don't know that this is the case. And so that's part A and then part B, know that planning for it can save you some money in taxes. Yeah, planning for it's extremely important, and just knowing what type of investments too are in this mutual fund is extremely important because over the like year or so, just mutual funds have just been throwing off some pretty big distributions here and there. So just being able to prepare for that and knowing the type of investments that the mutual funds is in can can kind of help prepare you on a on a tax basis. So it's extremely important to always look into us like i think roshan said you can call them in certain mutual funds and get information about just doing your homework can really help pay off so you you listeners can go to the websites of the mutual fund families whose funds you hold and usually by the end of september or certainly by the middle of october they will have made an announcement as to what the distributions are to are expected to be for each of the funds in their stable. So you can do this work yourself. But here's, here's what I wanted to do, just as, as our service to you, our listener, is to come to you with some of the biggest, uh, so I, again, I said I took the 100 largest mutual funds in the US, and if you own these in a taxable account, again, it doesn't matter if it's an IRA or a Roth, but you own these in a taxable account, let me just go down and, and identify some of these that are going to have a consequence. Before you for identify you. the funds, let's let's take a step back and and just break it down. It, it sort of simple step by step. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning, you start with those um, non qualified accounts, those taxable accounts. 
You can literally look at what your mutual funds are, and then you can Google uh, what the distribution is. So I, I, you know, Fidelity being one of the big mutual fund companies, I just typed into Google um, Fidelity uh, capital gains distributions, and literally the second item, the title is distributions by Fidelity mutual funds. You can do that for any mutual fund company. So, and you can even put in your um, the symbol. So, if you're looking at that that um, that actual statement, you see the symbol on there. I just typed in another Vanguard uh, symbol. I typed in the symbol. I wrote capital gains distribution. The second one is a link to Vanguard, and it's a list of their uh, expected capital gains distributions for the year. So it's it's that easy to find out what that distribution is going to be. And um, uh, Eric, please continue with the numbers on the mutual funds that you have now. Actually, I'm glad that you added that because I think there's one more thing to add because somebody might be saying, well, why are we even having this conversation? Isn't it a fait accompli? I'm just going to have to get these <laughs> capital gains distributed and I'm going to have to pay taxes on them. Ah, astute question. The answer, no. You can avoid these distributions if you sell the position prior to the, to, to the date at which the distribution is made. And so as long as you're no longer the owner of record as of the record date, then what you're able to do at that point is to d take that money out. And you might have some capital gains in that position, but now you're able to redeploy them into something else. Now, this, by the way, is different. We're talking about this is a different issue than the tax loss harvesting. If your position is not in a loss overall and you sell, then you could buy something similar or substantially identical and it won't have the wash sale impact. Yeah, so, and actually, Eric, I'm going to continue on that. I mentioned the last one I did the Google search for was Vanguard. I clicked on there. They gave me a link. Uh, excuse me, a PDF document that has all their mutual funds. I picked the, the fourth one on their list because it's a pretty big distribution. Their Capital Opportunity Admiral uh, Fund says its declaration date is December 18th. Its ex-dividend date is December 21st. And its payable date is December 22nd. And it's going to be $15, which is 8% of the NAV. So... Eric, the declaration, I've, I've decided I don't want this uh, tax bill. So first, what do I do? Declaration date is December 18th. It's as simple as what? Well, it's as simple as selling. And I would say, uh, I believe in this case, you're going to sell three days in advance. But I'll have to check that three business days in advance of that. So, um, but there is a date by which you can sell and we'll, we can refine that. I'll give you some actual dates of some actual funds. Hold on, Eric, let's, let me just finish this thought. Uh, so the, the sale, sell it before the date, sell it three days before the date or a week before, just sell it well in advance so you don't have the gain. And with this particular fund um, that I mentioned, it says that it's 8% of the NAV that's distributed or $15. If you're getting that capital gains distribution, you're paying taxes on that $15. So just selling it in advance will avoid, avoid that tax. And Eric, please continue now with some of your examples. And by the way, so let's also note that when that we talk about a capital gains distribution, 
we want to even think to further refine it, the, what portion of that is a short-term capital gain and what portion of that is a long-term capital gain. And because the difference is, is that the long-term capital gain will be hit with a lower tax rate than the, the short-term capital gain, which will be treated as ordinary income. So we can think about it both from what percent of the NAV or the net asset value of the mutual fund will be distributed, but then we can also ask, depending on your marginal tax bracket, how much of your value in that fund might you, might you actually have to cough up in the form of federal income taxes. So let's use an example to make this kind of simple. Let someone has $100,000 invested in, and I'm gonna use the, the first one on the list here, the T. Rowe Price New Horizons Fund. By the way, I'm not in any way suggesting that any of these funds are good or bad because they have these distributions. This is just happens to, per, per, happens to be perhaps their year for making some of these distributions. But in this case, the T. Rowe Price New Horizons Fund is expected to distribute 10.69% of its net asset value in, at, at, you know, in the form of these capital gains distributions. 3%, a little more than 3% in short term and a little and about seven and a half in long term. If you are in the highest marginal income tax bracket and you get hit with those, then 3% of the value of your fund, you'll have to cough up in taxes. In other words, if you own a $100,000 position, that's going to be $3,000. If you own a million dollar position, and there's some investors who will have a million dollars in a single fund like this, that's a $30,000 tax bill as a result of that. So what can you do, whether it's avoiding 3,000, 300, 30,000, what can you do? You can sell it before the date. And in this case, in this particular fund's case, you'd sell it uh, by December 11th. And then what you could do is well, whatever you wish to, but the point is, is that what you could do is you could take that money and you could put it into something that's similar, a, another mid-cap growth instrument of some kind in order to uh, stay invested in mid-cap growth like this fund is, but not have, the, not have the consequence. Now you might say, well, how about if I just jump into another mid-cap mutual fund, mid-cap growth mutual fund? You could do that, but you just want to make sure that it's before you do, you're not jumping in to go get its capital gains distribution. And so at this, a different strategy would be to use an exchange-traded fund, or ETF. And the reason for that is, is that ETFs have a statutory pr provision that allows them to manage these dis dis pardon me, capital gains distributions in a different way that doesn't result in a consequence to you like this. They're able to manage it internally and not produce that, that distribution result. I wanna add something, Eric, actually, and this is a good time for our disclosure as well, uh, of uh, speak to your tax professional, do your research and so on, because we're talking about avoiding the short-term capital gain. If you've owned this fund for a long time, you might have an even bigger capital gain from your original purchase date um, if you sell now. So as Adrian said, you're playing chess. Uh, I like to say chess, not checkers, right? As we were saying earlier, but you don't want to say, hey, I want to avoid this $3,000 tax bill. So I'm going to sell this fund today and then cause yourself, you know, a $30,000 tax bill. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So you have to know, you have to compare 
the consequence of doing this with, of course, the, the consequence of inaction. Um, and that actually ties back to our conversation earlier about tax loss harvesting, because if you did say, I am going to sell it in order to avoid the distribution, and I have some tax losses that I could harvest to offset this, I could be golden. So there's a lot to this. At this point, again, just as we said in the intro, we're trying to sensitize you to some strategies that you could consider. What's going to be precisely the right answer for you is, is, is not something that we can uh, answer with a blanket comment for every listener. So I'm going to just read out a couple others, and, uh, and, and if you're interested in learning more about this, you know, certainly reach out to us, and we'd be happy to have this conversation with you. You can find our contact information in the show notes. But uh, the, the next one, which the next most severe uh, tax consequence from its uh, anticipated distributions is the Harbor Capital Appreciation Fund. And in this case, that fund is expected to have an 11.39% distribution. That's a 11, over 11% of its net asset value. And for those people who are in the highest marginal bracket, that would be a 2.71% um, cost in terms of the, the overall value that they have invested in the fund. That's the amount that they would have to pay in the form of taxes. Lastly, the, of the ones I'll mention, the Vanguard Prime Cap Fund, that's, uh, that's got an 8.43% distribution as a percent of net asset value, and the tax cost for those in the highest bracket would be over 2%. So just, just to you know, emphasize that, depending on what your tax bracket is and what your other circumstances are, th these steps may be uh, of help to you. Yes. Yep. And let's move on to another, uh, another topic, just because we've got a lot to cover. Um, the, the next one I've got on my list is um, when you're looking at your taxes and planning for the year, it may be worth checking to see if Roth conversions are a good idea for you. So a couple things with the Roth conversions and how that, how that works is you can convert an IRA today uh, from a traditional to a Roth IRA. When you do that conversion, you're going to then owe taxes on the money being converted. That's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate because when you put the money in initially, you got a tax deduction uh, at your ordinary income tax rate. So you got to pay pay the taxes uh, on those dollars that you haven't already. But this is something that you really need to plan. The reason I, I say that is you've got a few things. There are multiple reasons to do this. One is taking taxable money and making it tax-free. The other is that you're eliminating required minimum distributions at 72. So you're, you're lowering, lowering that. And you can also try to play the uh, um, tax game of where do you think tax rates are going to go. So that's one where if you think tax rates are going up, it's worth doing. Uh, however, when I'm looking at this for clients, I'm definitely looking at their tax bracket and planning what bracket do I think they'll be in in the future and how worthwhile is it? So we can go a little bit deeper into that, but I want to ask if either of you have anything to add first. Yeah, it's a, it's a great strategy being able to pay taxes now and it can be really appealing, like you said, if you're expected to maybe go up a bracket or you're expecting to withdraw a lot out of retirement, it, it is great. But 
knowing all the components of this, like you said, Roshan is extremely important, but it's also extremely beneficial if it does work out. What do you think, Eric? Well, first of all, I love this strategy and I think it's, it's one of the least, um, it's one of the most underutilized ways of avoiding taxes, but I want to put it in a larger framework. And then I want to talk about some of the, some of the circumstances in, in which you might use it or might, and how, how aggressively or, or what have you. So I, this, this strategy, like many others, falls under a, a principle that we would call tax rate arbitrage. By that I mean comparing either from one time period to a different time period or from one phase of your, you know, even literally one year to the next or from one generation to another generation or from parents to let's say some children but not others whose marginal income tax rate or which marginal income tax rate in which period is going to be high or higher in relative terms and which is going to be lower uh, than, than the other what you're trying to do is in periods where you're faced with a low marginal income tax rate, that's the window of opportunity to make these conversions so that during periods when you're in a higher marginal income tax bracket, you now have the opportunity to meet some of your spending needs, not by pulling more money out of your IRA and having it all land in the ordinary income tax column, but instead have it be tax-free. And so that principle of, you know, one phase of your life to another phase of your life that, it, that can work that way, as I also said, it can work across generations. So I want to give an, I want to give an example of this and, and talk about what is a common opportunity, uh, or a, a, probably the most single most attractive opportunity for most people who do, who, whose circumstances line up in the way I'm about to describe. If you are someone who, let's say, doesn't have a pension, this is even more useful for you. So let's say that you have elected with either on your own or in consulting with a, your financial planner that you're going to postpone Social Security until you're age 70. But you're not planning on working until age 70. You now have a, a period where your earned income is going to drop, and let's use this, this simplified example, to zero. Your earned income is going to drop to zero. But of course, you still have to put food on the table. How are you going to do that? You're going to make withdrawals from your accounts. So what if, in addition to taking money out of your IRAs enough to meet your, your living needs, you went further and you took out extra money and converted that extra money into a Roth IRA? Now, when you hit age, and you do that year by year by year, looking at kind of where you are with how big is your IRA and what are your marginal income tax brackets, but filling up those marginal income tax brackets, certainly up to the 12% level, uh, maybe in your case to the 22 or 24% level, so that when you hit age 70 and now that social security income stream kicks in, you're in a position to take, to, to satisfy your living requirements with fewer uh, uh, dollars added to your social security 
coming from IRAs. You have the option of taking out some of that money as, as a Roth distribution, which is tax-free. That's one example. Guys, what, what else would you cite as examples? With the Roth IRA um, example, what you described that really stands out to me is um, those years from retirement through before Social Security kicks in or any other income, right? So that's one thing that stands out where I've seen that be useful uh, for a client. We were just talking to someone who is currently working, uh, and when she retires in a few years, her... Um, income's going to go down, but she will have a pension, right? So we expect her to be in a lower tax bracket in the future, even if you consider the fact that tax rates are going to go up automatically in a few years. She's expected to be at a lower tax bracket. So we said to her, we really don't think it makes sense for you to look at these conversions now. But in a few years, um, when you retire, it'll make sense. She's more than likely going to be locked into uh, one level lower than her current tax bracket uh, ongoing. Uh, but in, in that case, th that's just an example of a Roth conversion not making sense now, but maybe in the future. Another point I think is important on this uh, Roth conversion that we shared with her is, fortunately for her, she can live on her pension. So all this money she saved in her retirement accounts, she's likely to pass on to her heirs and uh, to charities and so on. So the question then uh, in her case is, do you want to pay the tax bill uh, in advance or not because you know, it's someone else's tax bill you're paying, theoretically? That's excluding the uh, minimum distribution point, so managing that a little bit would make sense. I know I've touched on a lot of key topics here, but I started with saying planning when you're retiring those gap, if you have those gap years before income kicks in, that may, a good, may be a good opportunity to do, to do so. The second point I was making is just that we, I think we all agree this is a really good strategy to use the Roth conversions, but um, you've got to time it. It's not for everyone and you've got to consider everything, which is why I shared that example of that, uh, that one client. Uh, and by consider everything, where are your tax brackets now? Where are they going to go? Um, what, do, what do you expect to do with that money like is it are you going to have the tax-free money or are you paying someone else's tax bill and then just looking at at time frames right what are where what part of your life does it make sense to do that i want to talk about two other applications of this idea so i sat down with a prospective client earlier this week um, he and his wife are in their mid-80s and they have four children and uh, the four children have widely different incomes, and as a result, widely different marginal income tax rates. And the, this couple has a pretty sizable IRA, um, and way more than they'll need to, to spend in their own lifetime. So there's certainly uh, going to be, according to their, their wish, since they don't have a charitable objective, it's gonna be distributed to their children. So their question to me was, should we do a massive Roth conversion just right now, particularly in light of the fact that they thought they have, you know, uh, we're facing a potential um, and a likely shift in tax policy um, in the wake of this election. And so they thought maybe this is the time to do this. And I said, well, with that, with the one or two of your children who are in a lower marginal income tax bracket, 
doing some Roth conversions for, for them doesn't really make sense because you're going to be incurring taxes at your higher marginal rate just to help them avoid incurring taxes at their lower marginal rate. In their case, it would make more sense to let them do the conversions if they wish to, uh, you know, or something along those lines. But th- for the sake of your, your other child, in particular one who is of s- extremely high income and hence the highest marginal income tax bracket, that would be a great gift to that child because now you would be able to convert some and then have that pool of money in waiting. And so then what you could do is to say, I'm just using this number to make the point, you could give that child a million of Roth, you could give the younger child 1.16 million of IRA, and they'd both have a million dollars to spend. On the other hand, if you, if you did it oppositely, you gave the, the low income, lower marginal income tax rate child a million to spend for, of Roth money, you'd have to give the IRA money of 1.7 million almost to the other child to get a million dollars of spendable money there. So, so thinking through you know, what the intergenerationally, uh, the, the marginal income tax rate differences is also, is also important and worthwhile. So again, it just comes down to this question of this principle that I articulated in introducing this topic is tax rate arbitrage is the name of the game in all of this. One last point, and then let's move on on this that I just want to mention. Run the calculation, but in general, it's, well, it's ideal to not have to take money out of that money you've converted, right? So ideally... You're con- if you're converting 100000 you convert all 100000 and pay your taxes out of your bank account as opposed to converting 100 using 30 to pay taxes now, and then you've only got 70 in there. So run the numbers and see, but that's just a good, a good tip where if you're looking into this, having money from a taxable account, a non-qualified account to pay the taxes is... is um, is the situation where it makes this most advantageous. Uh, Let's touch on just a couple other uh, items. Eric, I know you've got a couple on your list. What's the next one that you have? Well, again, in the the spirit of year-end planning, so this is not necessarily the most consequential. I think if we should maybe do another topic on just the the whole subject of retirement income withdrawal strategies and developing developing a well-balanced set of money in taxable accounts, tax deferred and tax free accounts. That's that that strategy is is more consequential. But since we're talking about year end, for those people that have this ability, and generally speaking, W2 wage earners don't have this as easily as business people, but thinking about where we stand next year, if the if the broad expectation is is that going forward we're going to be in a higher marginal income tax bracket ahead for for most middle to high earners then you might want to do what you can to realize accelerate the realization of income now if you have accounts that if you have a, a, people who are owing you money for services that you've delivered do what you can to get that money paid to you in 2020 as opposed to 2021. That's usually, by the way, that's normal. That's backwards from what we usually counsel. We would say if we're in a stable 
tax, marginal tax rate environment. You want to postpone income and accelerate deductible expenses. This might be the year, small business owners, when you might want to go the opposite of that and accelerate the realization of income and postpone deductible expenses. Again, it's a, a tax rate arbitrage play. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great one uh, that'll help a lot of small business owners. But Eric, the important question is why would you accelerate it this year? It's because you're expecting the rate to go up. That's exactly right. If you if you share that broad expectation, you may say, "I have I don't think that's going to happen." Well, then we all hope you're right. Exactly, exactly. So um, that's where a lot of these things where we're talking about with the Roth conversion or with um, business owners accelerating or the realization of the income, uh, you will have to have a position on where you think tax brackets are going. And in that Roth conversion example I gave for that one one client, well, we know her income's going to get down and she's going to go down a bracket later. So it makes it an easier decision because you don't have to speculate as much for a change in tax code. But you, you, you definitely need to come have a position. And if you think rates are going up, realize that that income. Um, the one one other item I have on my list that I'll touch on briefly, and Eric, actually, you, you mentioned this briefly as well charitable donations, right? If you've got donations that you're, that you're uh, going to make in January, maybe it makes sense to do it before the year is up to realize that tax savings this year. Similar with um, state taxes. Or if you, if you owe taxes or you think you're going to owe money in April, uh, paying it in December will give you, let you deduct it this year, right, on your, on your taxes. Do either of you have any last uh, couple items that you'd want to mention? I know that we're, uh, from a time perspective, we don't want to go too long, so we, we are trying to limit what we have. Yeah, I think we might have touched on a little bit in harvesting losses, but there are some cases where you could carry losses over to other years, which could really be a nice benefit for you from a tax standpoint. I believe the amount's around 3000 or uh, to carry over. Uh, well, well, and uh, actually, Adrian, that's a really good point that I, I uh, we should have mentioned that earlier. If you are going through offsetting gains and losses, uh, you can only claim three thousand in your in the loss. So if you have a uh, fifty thousand dollars in losses, the other forty-seven will carry forward, and you keep keep sort of chipping away at it. You can offset it with gains, but that's an important point because when you're looking at harvesting those losses, if you have something you really want to hold and you've already got $3,000 in losses, maybe you just hold it, right? Well, let's, let's clarify that. We mean $3,000 of net losses. So if you had, had $50,000 of gains, it's, a, it's useful to offset that with $53,000 of losses because now the $3,000 of losses that, that you over offset against those gains, the federal government will allow you to use those up to $3,000 of losses, net losses per year against your ordinary income tax and, or your ordinary income. And hence you're reducing your ordinary income tax burden um, correspondingly. So yes, it's net, we're, we have to emphasize it's net $3,000. Yes, exactly. And 
Eric, any last minute thoughts or strategies to mention? Well, just I think that if we're talking about charitable, there's I I think it'd be worth really doing a deep dive on this in another in another round. But since we were talking about you know accelerating income and def- postponing deductions, that same thing applies not only to small business owners but to charitably minded people. You might want to, if you have the option, to defer a big gift till next year. <laughs> And uh, which, you know, your charities are not the charities that kind of rely on you or look to you for help on an annual basis aren't going to be super excited about that. But in this case, it might work to your advantage to do it January 2nd as opposed to December 31st. And so they'll still, you know, that cash flow will be coming into their coffers pretty quickly, but it will be a world of potentially a big difference for you from a tax standpoint. And by the way, if you're going to make those gifts charitably of that kind, why instead of giving cash, not why not do it with appreciated stock? Because then you not only get the tax, the income tax deduction, but you also avoid the capital gains that are embedded in that altogether. Yep, I agree with you, Eric. Great strategies that you just mentioned, and also I think we should do a deep dive on uh, the tax strategies from a charitable. Uh, deduction perspective similar to what you said with the business owners you would delay that uh donation because you anticipate rates going up uh next year if you feel the opposite or you don't think they're going to change then you could make the donation in december and take it take it now so that that once again you're you're playing the game of where you think things will go tax-wise well, I was just going to say and perhaps in another session we ought to do advanced topics because from the estate planning side, there are some really incredible tools that are in the, the some arrows in the quivers of the estate planning uh, folks that can help with tax avoidance. Remember, we're not saying tax evasion. We're saying tax avoidance, the legal version. And uh, in addition, uh, real estate investors have some options as well that can, um, that there are some pretty powerful tax advantages available to real estate investors uh, that we can talk about at some point too. I, I'd love to talk about opportunity zones, 1031 exchanges, and uh, and so forth at some point. Yeah, I like all of those uh, all of those topics, and there's a lot that we can we can share with each of each item. The you know, advanced topics, individual episodes for each of those. Um, the last thing we've we've um, for our listeners that have been been with us for a while, we have a segment at the end this where we talk about the science of happiness where we talk about the um, uh, high-impact living, where we talk about different charitable organizations. We've gone really long on episodes recently, so we haven't touched on it. We're just getting back to it. And uh, I'm starting with the segment on Science of Happiness this week. And I found a great article. It's from Science Times. It's called Three Positive Feelings That Increase the Level of Happiness. Talk to a lot of people that are getting pandemic fatigue and so I think these are hopefully some useful tips. The first uh, the, of the three positive feelings are, first, boost your social connections. I know it's tough to see people right now, but pick up the phone. I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing, guys, but I find that what used to be a 10-minute call is now a 30-minute call because I think people are just <laughs> excited to talk to each other. So pick yeah. up the phone, do uh, you know, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever, whatever it is, but keep... Keep up with your social connections. It'll definitely make you happier. Their second um, item is uh, show gratitude. 
and feel grateful for what you have and the blessings that you have now. I was just talking to someone who uh, works in D.C. and is uh, just helping, uh, helps manage the city, so to speak, uh, with what he does. And he says, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's been crazy with protests and so on on both sides. But at least we're still here, right? A lot of people uh, aren't this year with what's happened. And then finally, uh, practice self-compassion. I hadn't heard the term before. I didn't know what it meant. I thought it was hugging yourself. But the the one thing they talk about that I really like about it is that they say, uh, be present in the moment. And I think that's an, an important one. I know, at least for me personally, I'm guilty of being in the moment and looking at my phone as well. So, uh, and I try to, uh, I got in trouble for my kids. Now I got to put the phone away after I get, come downstairs for at the end of the workday for a little while. And I think that was a, uh, a good thing that I got in trouble for, so I'm putting the phone away, and I'd like to share share that thought and idea with others, gentlemen. Any uh, anything you'd like to add on the three um, three positive feelings that'll increase your level of happiness? Yeah, it looks like I have to do a better job too, being present. I mean, it's not like I'm on my phone all the time, but sometimes just like a lot of responsibility or thinking about like the future a lot or. I'll really be on the weekend just to enjoy myself, but then I'm thinking about next week and what I have to do or planning for stuff. So, yeah, it could be, it is very beneficial sometimes just taking the moment and not always just overthink things or just, we, we love planning. Planning's always great, but just over planning when you're doing something you enjoy is, could be also beneficial just really be in the moment. Yeah, completely agree. The phone makes it, makes it hard for all of us. So, Putting that phone away out of reach <laughs> makes it easier. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. We know we gave you a lot today. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends about us. I recently saw a review of our podcast that said we had great content and the person really enjoyed it, particularly the, uh, the uh, managing volatility uh, episode is what they were talking about. So. We really appreciate your feedback. Please like, subscribe, give us five stars, tell your friends about us, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. If you found this show helpful, gained knowledge, or enjoyed the time you spent with Roshan, Eric, and Adrian, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, or to ask us a question, go to retirewithroshan.com. That's retire with Roshan, R-O-S-H-A-N.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube audio library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.